talk about Christian apologetics because we care about the condition of a lost person's soul. The enemy, the, the chief deceiver, has, has hidden just enough truths in people's minds to convince them of lies. The enemy knows the word of God. He tries to bait us with the word of God. He will, he will in many ways, delude God's word, and he will make something look good. That's morally and the moral choice of our life, but also the things that we believe. And he has led people to believe in these false worldviews. And therefore, they don't see the truth of God's word and the person of Jesus Christ. Do we go after the argument to win the argument? No, we go after the argument to win the soul, don't we? That is the purpose of Christian apologetics. Psalm 103, verse 13, God's compassion is seen. as the Father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who what, church? Who fear him. Nineveh feared the wrath of God, and therefore God relented. He said he would do it, and God relented of the wrath because of his compassion. Jesus showed the same compassion in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is walking about in the villages and the byways, and he's teaching, and it says in verse 9, verse, chapter 9, verse 36, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now listen to the description of the crowds. Because they were harassed, and they were helpless. I look at the lost world today. There's a lot of things I want to say about the lost world today, but I don't typically use the word harassed and helpless, right? But if you're, a, if you're a Christian and you want to win their soul for Christ, you've got to consider them as the victim of the enemy and not the, vic, not the problem itself. Some, sometimes when, I, when you're doing counseling, uh, people will come and tell you a lot of different things. And, and uh, if you've ever done counseling with me, I promise you it's always in confidence, okay? But I'm always listening for the next layer, the next layer, the next layer. Because what I get is a surface thing, right? Then there's a deeper level and a deeper level and a deeper level. Any counseling, Tabitha, you know that, right? When it comes to the issues of our day, the issues of our day are spiritual issues because people have been harassed by Satan himself and the enemy himself. Jesus sees the crowd and says they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Thank God, church, we know the great shepherd of our soul, Jesus Christ, Amen. Thank God we are not ignorant of who the truth, the way, the truth, and the life is, church. As a result of that, we must also have the very same compassion. I get five quick statements in our worship guide this morning, okay? I'll be really quick this morning so we can land the plane, all right? Number one, saving grace is God's prerogative and not our own. It's really important. If you're, worship, if you're at home right now and don't have a worship guide, they're available online. You can fill them in the blanks or write them on a piece of paper. Saving grace is God's prerogative and not our own. Isn't it true we kind of want to say so in that, in that statement? Like, God, I really want to be a part of the, of the big council meeting up in heaven, like who you save and who you don't save. Don't we kind of want that, right? Perhaps it's inside of us, like we really want to be in the, on the board, or so to speak, but guess what? You are not God and I am not God, and so it's God's prerogative of who he gives grace to. Romans chapter 9, again, we've talked about this verse before. There's a lot of things we can go deeper in. It's not important right now, but this is what Romans 9 tells us. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Listen verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. That's important when it comes to salvation. We want to look at the world and say, that's them. God, get them good. We, sit, we like the chair over here, and we like the shade over here, don't we? God, get them good. God, get them good. And God says, hey, I pity the lost soul. 
Thank God he pities the lost soul. Amen? When you look in the mirror every day, you should be amazed by grace. Not taking it for granted. You should be overwhelmed by God's mercy for our life. We should be amazed by what God has done. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, listen carefully, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we once lived, the passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. You were by nature lost person, a child of wrath. You may still be. Christian, you were. Lost person, you are. And it says, listen, like the rest of mankind, but God, thank God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You guys got to wake up with me. By grace, you have been saved, church. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So at the coming age, he might show, listen carefully, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. You know what I hear a lot these days? And I'm going to start preaching, okay? All right, soapbox. Y'all, can, I, can I go there? Soapbox. I hear a lot of complaining sometimes from people. A lot of complaining. The last year is like a year full of complaints. The, in the church, outside the church, they're everywhere I go. Everybody's vocalizing on every form of social media and everything else. Complaints, okay? Not always about the church, by the way. Like, oh, oh preacher's going here. There, mm, there you go. You know one of the reasons why we complain? Because we forgot the grace of God. We have taken for granted that which God has given us. We took our eyes off the giver of grace. And therefore... We have fallen victim to complaining, to selfishness, to pride, to those issues that Satan likes to leverage in our life. We have, we have tried to put a number on grace. Paul says it's the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Say it one more time. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. It is God's work. Therefore, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and then discover or find grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Come on, grace upon grace. Number two, real quickly. Reason. Without compassion corrupts the response. Reason without compassion corrupts the, the response. You know, you know why God is able to step in and do what God does in his mercy and grace? Because he cares. He has compassion for his creation. Church, when was the last time you cried yourself to sleep because of a lost soul? When was the last time you were burdened when you looked at the wickedness of our world and you didn't care about the action as much as the, the, the soul behind all of that? When was the last time you were moved to pity for them? See, you can, you can say all you want to as far as winning the argument, but if there's no compassion, no love, no sympathy, no care, what oftentimes we do instead of introducing the gospel to a lost world, is we put another barrier up to the gospel. 
I am not talking about compromise by no means. I think we stand firmly on the truth of God's word. We will not be moved by that. But truth and grace, the same coin. We care enough. We care enough about the lost soul of the person, not just to win the argument. Colossians chapter 4 tells us to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, and then let our speech always be gracious, gracious, seasoned with salt, not salt on a French fries, but seasoned with wisdom so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Number three, salvation is always the objective in all that God continues to do in his church. Salvation. Salvation is always the objective. This is why as a church, we have to be very careful to always be gospel-centered people because the message of the church is always redemption. It is always redemption. Sometimes the church can take its eyes the ball, off the ball and we look at these other causes, these other social things. And it's important for us to speak the gospel into those social things. But our due north is the gospel. Salvation, God's act of redemption is what we are about and what God continues to do through his church, locally and globally, church. Salvation is always what God wants to do. You know the whole purpose of sending Jonah to Nineveh wasn't to get Nineveh. It's so that Nineveh got God. Amen? That was the purpose. Jonah, Jonah missed it all together. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said this. He said, I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unravel all the mysteries of the divine word. For salvation is the one thing we are to live for. Like, it's one thing to know stuff, to fill our minds with information and so that we can leverage our facts over the, the lost world's deceit. But it's another thing to care for their soul enough to get in the trenches with them and introduce them to Christ. Number four, the explicit goal. These last two are tied together. Gotta, hey, I know I talk fast. Uh, Miss Becky, I appreciate your comment earlier. She says, if you want a longer sermon, I could slow down. So uh, you want a longer sermon? I'll slow down my, my speech a little bit. No? Okay. Thanks, Chomp Chomp. Chomp Chomp says, no, don't slow down. All right, so thanks. Number four, the explicit goal of Christian apologetics as we wrap up this series. Again, the, the motivation for, I want you to see in Jonah. The explicit goal of Christian apologetics is not to win an argument, but to win the lost soul. Yes, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. What I hope to do this year and all that we're doing in our church is to prepare you to make a defense but why should we make a defense? I want to know the why. What's the ultimate goal? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And then Peter gives us some instructions on how to do that. And it's motivated by love and compassion. He says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Again, it's, it's one thing to, to barrage and berate the world with information about Christianity. It's another thing actually care enough deeply for their soul to get in there with them and work out with them. One person says, evangelism is hard. Watching someone you love go to hell is harder. Whew. That'll preach. So we care enough for the lost soul. It's not just about winning a shouting match. Anybody else feel like over the last year has been a shouting match? 
Everywhere you go, it's everybody's opinions against everybody else's opinions. And it's, it doesn't matter whether you're an Alabama fan or Auburn fan, just joking, right? A Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if you like this person or that person. It doesn't matter if it's this or that. It's a shouting match. And everybody has equal voices and everybody's yelling at each other and nobody's listening, especially to the word of God. Nobody. At some point, step back and stop arguing and, and yelling at people. Just tell people about Jesus. Number five. And this is what it boils down to, a very simplified statement. You can win the argument and you can still lose the conversation. One thing I do in premarital counseling, we talk about com, you know, communication, you know, and uh, I love premarital counseling for a lot of different reasons. Number one, hopefully it makes me a better husband. I'm not looking at my wife right now, right? But one of the things that I, I, I try to, to share is that there's ways to, to fight fair or communicate fair. In, our, in my home, we don't call each other by uh, our parents' names because that's just not fair, okay, right? You'll start a war in, in our house in a hurry, right? There's ways to fight fair. We don't, you know, obviously don't say any inappropriate words to each other. We, we, we try to, to keep our, our, our tempers down when we disagree together. This is one thing that we, we have to learn, and all of us have to learn, is that you can, you can win an argument at the loss of a relationship. Isn't that true? In our desire to be competitive and to win, roll tide, right? We, we, we have a legacy of winning, right? You can win at the cost When it comes to this person's soul, you can win the argument and you can lose the conversation completely. Church. Proverbs 16 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. That applies to the lost man, but it also applies to the Christian who's not wise with the way he engages the lost world with the gospel. So my friends, is it necessary for us to teach Doctrine and apologetics, yes. Is there a way to do it in love? Absolutely. We have to do it in love. Now, there's a tension there. I get it. It's the same tension I feel each and every Sunday. Mark Dever says it this way. He says, if you're not offending people, then you're probably not an evangelist. You know, I would argue you're not, you're not a, a preacher either if you're not offending somebody, Right? God's word will expose the sinfulness of our life. The truth of the gospel will expose the sinfulness of our life. But thankfully, in the very same gospel that convicts us of our sin offers a, a forgiveness of our sin. There's mercy and then there's grace. Jonah gives us a picture of what the church should not be. The church should not be running from God's call the church should be running to the front lines of God's call. Not running away from culture to appreciate our Christian chicken. We love some Chick-fil-A and our holy huddles and all that kind of stuff. And we're just going to isolate ourselves from, from them. No, that's, that's not what God's called us to do. My friend, he has put us, and I'm going to land this plane, promise. He's put us here in this community, in this culture, in this country for such a time as this, to be salt and to be light, to be ambassadors of the gospel. We can either hate, hate them. Oh God, just get them. That was Jonah. Or we can pity 
because we know they're harassed and helpless like sheep without the great shepherd. Would you pray with me?